You're listening to Alabama Tradition with Ryan Fowler and Martin Houston on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Championships. 27 SEC titles. 131 first-team All-Americans. 70 postseason appearances. 39 postseason victories. This is Alabama football. And this is Alabama Tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. So every Tuesday, we devote one hour to Alabama tradition, the past, present, future, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Mark Houston is normally with me, 1992 national champion winning fullback at the University of Alabama. He's also part of our lineup here on Tide 100.9, mornings beginning at 6 a.m. Uh, with Mark Houston. So we do this Alabama tradition. Mark's not going to be with, with he's not going to be with me tonight, uh, but we are going to spend some time with Chris Hummer coming up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, 247 Sports National College Football Analyst. Uh, He's been able to to parlay several articles that I want to talk about with Chris. Uh, We'll also replay an interview that I conducted with Terry Davis, the first wishbone quarterback for the University of Alabama in 1971. And Alabama went from a pro set in 69 and 70 to six and five teams, and then they went to the wishbone in 71, started out at USC, and – Little did they know that Alabama's going to start out on the wishbone. So Terry Davis uh, will replay that interview coming up at 6.30 uh, here in Tuscaloosa. But right now we got a Chris Hummer. Uh, you look at 247 Sports, National College Football Analyst. He's actually out in Arlington, Texas, getting ready to cover the Big 12 Media Days. It'll start tomorrow and Thursday, and uh, we'll expect a lot of news coming out of that. And you can follow it at BamaOnline.com is the local website, but 247 Sports, the national website. Chris Hummer, I hope all is well. Welcome into the game in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, are you going to be in uh, Hoover next week, or is this just a one-time appearance for the media days, or uh, will you be there? Uh, that's my media day schedule for now. Our guy Brandon Marcello over at 24-7 Sports is uh, a little closer to Hoover, so he's handling that one for us. I got you. I got you. What are you expecting when you walk into media days? Because you know, after last year's skip, and I know there's some hesitation. It's uh, I know from the SEC perspective – They've been very limited with actually exactly what's going to happen. We're a week away, uh, less than a week away. We don't have a player one that's going to be there. We, you know, what are you expecting with media days? Is hours away from the Big Twelve kind of getting things started? Well, I mean, the Big Twelve media days is usually just a little calmer than the SEC, out of okay. my experience. But I do expect it to be a little more sanitized, if that makes sense. Uh, sanitized from probably a literal perspective because of COVID concerns, and also. There's going to be more social distancing between the players, less breakouts. I would imagine there's less media there in general. I know the Big 12 has limited their credentials a little bit, just like the SEC has in some ways. So I don't think it's going to be quite as chaotic. But I, for me, it's going to be the first time in like 18 months, and at least in a media setting and not a practice setting, I'll be in front of a coach or a player face-to-face. Uh, so that'll be a welcome change, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, great point. I mean, it, it does. and. You know, you have a chance to build relationships. You have a chance to get uh, interviews. I mean, yeah, Zoom is great, but at the end of the day, it's Zoom. Uh, it's fun. Uh, we still do our job, but uh, I didn't realize how much I'd miss that. You know, being in 
you know, the front row of Nick Saban's press conference, I get out something out of that. What do they say? 70% of communication is nonverbal. Uh, you're sitting there watching that. You don't see as much on via Zoom. Absolutely. You get body language. You can get little quips and anecdotes about what's happening around people from a story perspective. Sure. And then it's, just, it's been a long time. Like the last person I sat down with on a college campus was Kellen Mond, like in March of last year. I was in College Station doing a one-on-one interview with him. So it's been a really long time, and I, I am very like hyped up getting ready to get out there and to kind of see the Big 12 sixth wave of stars, even if Spencer Rattler's not coming for a long time. Well, yeah, and, and, and what was that? What was the reason? Any, any reason why that uh, Oklahoma's not going to carry their star quarterback? Uh, it's the Lincoln-Riley thing. It's really not just a Lincoln-Riley thing. It's a coach wanting to give their upperclassmen a uh, spot to shine. There's only two spots available. They're bringing out their kind of senior H-back, who's been with the program for five years. Quite a good player, but obviously not Spencer Rattler's um, kind of fame and quality uh, nationally. So it's a little disappointing to see that, but... If you know Lincoln and if you followed him for a while, he said there's been a quarterback battle every year going back to even 2018 when Kyler Murray was going to win the Heisman. He had to win a quarterback battle coming out of fall camp. And I would not be shocked to hear him say the same thing about Spencer Rattler, as ridiculous as that sounds. Uh, it sounds like Nick Saban. It sounds like Nick Saban. It just, I mean, that's the type of verbiage that we generally hear from Coach Saban here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, when you look at Big 12 media days, Let's spend a little time in Austin, Texas. What's Sark going to be able to do there? What do you What do you think? Yeah, that's that's my home base. Uh, I live in Austin as well, and I think it'll be a. I think it'll be an interesting first year. Um, I don't think anybody, most rational people around Austin, don't have Big Twelve championship expectations. I don't know if the roster is quite there, but if Sark gets things rolling, especially offensively, and it it has been a struggle at times under Tom Herman. Um, they ran kind of an antiquated power spread system. Sam Ellinger was running the ball 22 times a game. Um, it's going to look quite a bit different. And if that offense can get rolling, I, I do think Steve Sarkeesian, given kind of the talent baseline on the roster, has a chance to potentially have Texas in the Big 12 championship game. I think if they were going to have like a dream season, that would be kind of the case this year. You go somewhere around 10-2 and two and you can get to the uh, Big 12 championship game because they, they do have enough players on the roster to kind of make that happen. So. And I think it's just generally optimistic as the sense around here. I think it was a needed change. I think the players are happy with it. Tom Herman could kind of wear on guys. Keith Sarkeesian's brought a little bit more of a player-friendly attitude or a more positive daily attitude, and I think that's really made a difference. Matt Campbell uh, with Iowa State. When you look at Matt Campbell, 9-3 uh, and three last year, he returns 11 starters, including his quarterback. When you look at Matt Campbell at Iowa State, uh, up at Ames, Iowa, what are you expecting for those guys in 2021? Yeah, I'm gonna. I don't know how much your audience probably follows soccer, but there's a term there called a golden generation when you have just like the right mix of talent at the right time to potentially win a title that you probably couldn't win otherwise, just because your baseline talent level is usually there. And I think Iowa State has that in this moment, as you mentioned. They've got Brock Purdy at quarterback coming back. They have an All-American tight end. They have all their offensive linemen. They have good skill talent. They have a Heisman contender in Brees Hall. They have one of the best defensive coordinators in the country with 10 of 11 starters coming back on that side of the ball. It sets up perfectly for Iowa State to potentially make a run this year. And I think it's Big 12 championship or bust for them this year. They almost stole it from Oklahoma uh, last season. I think Brock Purdy got a little turnover prone in the title game, which hurt the Cyclones. But I think Big 12 championships, the expectation there, and they're thinking playoff. Like this team, this team coming back is really good. There's a reason why they're top six in a lot of these preseason polls. Chris, this is, uh, I don't know if it's a 
fair question, but because uh, it's kind of looking into the forecast, and we'll also be deciding of expanding playoffs. I believe September is the next time that we're on a conference call. But let's say that we have a team that's not a part of it, not an not an Oklahoma, not an Ohio State, not an Alabama, not a Clemson, but just someone out there like an Iowa State. Would that factor in to the expansion of college football playoffs if we have a new face? Because when we were a part of that teleconference a few weeks ago, I know Jack Swarbrick had talked about, well, you got half the country disengaged and not a part of college football playoffs. Let's say that there's an Iowa State that's part of Could Could they maybe uh, put a roadblock in front of going to 12 and maybe back it down a little bit? Or do you think this is a, a foregone conclusion that we're going to 12 teams? I think that train's on the tracks and it's already it's going 100 miles an hour. I don't think there's any stopping it at this point. Okay. Not, it's not just about interest. Uh, frankly, like COVID has done a number on a lot of financial financials and athletic departments right now. Um, a lot of departments are struggling. They're looking for an additional revenue stream, and expanding the college football playoffs is the safest possible bet to kind of give more to kind of the schools out there, the 80s and the presidents, desperate for that extra money. And frankly, like we could talk all about competition we want. I, I firmly believe the biggest reason we're going to expand is because of money. And that formula doesn't change if Iowa State or North Carolina gets into the playoff or USC sneaks in out west. Like there's still going to be expansion and it's, it's going to come. Um, I, I don't know how people feel about it. I'm kind of on the fence, but it's, it's happening and I don't really think there's much that's going to slow that down. Chris, when we take a look at name, image, and likeness, uh, I go back to one of the articles that you have uh, put, published here on 247 Sports, uh, speaking with Tennessee's Associate Athletic Director about name, image, and likeness and kind of understanding the compliance side of things. Uh, this one's intriguing when you look at trying to manage all this. You almost have a little under, you know, a little empathy for these guys to understand, man, the compliance officers and what these guys are going through. Yeah, most compliance officials have a tough job anyway. They're kind of uh, at the whim of athletic directors and coaches and players, and they're expected to do uh, something they're asked for at a moment's notice. And it's not that different than other jobs, but this is kind of a 24-hour thing for compliance officials. And this is a bit of a nightmare. Uh, Andrew Donovan was the person I talked to who's actually no longer at Tennessee. He took a job with a kind of a private firm. But he was the president of the National Compliance Association, and he was pointing out that like compliance officials, which are tasked with enforcing the rules, have no idea if what rules are going to really be enforced by the NCAA and what the enforcement arm is going to look like from them. So they're kind of just like walking around in the dark and hoping they kind of hit the right part of the wall to kind of get them out of there because it's, it's completely unknown territory right now. And those compliance officials are kind of just treading water, hoping there's answers soon from the NCAA or Congress in order to get a little clarity on that stuff because they're in a really tough position. What do you think is more likely to happen? Do you think they'll get some help? I mean, it's trying to predict what the government's going to do is kind of hard for all of us, but uh, do you feel like that they'll get some help? Or are they confident that they'll, they'll get a, at least a look and a consideration? I think there's certainly going to be a discussion in Congress. Um, I don't know if it's the first priority right now, a lot going on in our country, sure. as um, I think most of us know, but I do think by the fall, there will at least be additional committee hearings and bills brought to the floor. Whether the two parts of the aisle can get together and uh, get a bill that works for both sides is, remains in question, but I think most athletic directors out there that I've talked to and people in compliance departments and the space in general do expect there will be something from Congress here in the next couple months to kind of alleviate some of the issues that are happening. Chris, what do you think about Alabama the upcoming season? 
I'm really curious to see how it'll go. I, I have them as my number one overall team in the country, as I'm sure most people do kind of in our preseason vote. Um, I think that defense should be significantly better. I think Alabama has the best linebacking group in the country by a pretty significant margin. You could make an argument that DB group and that front four are right up there as well, or front three, I'm sorry, with Alabama's scheme, um, depending on how you view Will Anderson. I think the big question is going to be how do they replace those weapons outside? Um, John Mechie's job as a number one option is going to be a lot different than it was when he was playing next to Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. I'm curious if he'll kind of raise his level of play to go with that. They've obviously got some really talented young receivers um, that are coming through. Can they be ready to go soon? That running back room is going to be good. I have no doubt Bryce Young's going to be good, but it'll be it'll be really interesting. I'm very curious to know how that game week three against Florida goes. I think that'll be telling if Alabama's good there. They're the heavy national title favorites, in my opinion. So, how about the dogs in Athens? What's your expectations, 2021? It's got to be championship or bust, right? Like, given everything I'm that's on that roster. I'm glad you said that. I would hug you if you're here. I've been saying that for like, it's national championship or bust. It's hard to say that with a team that hasn't won since '80, but I think it is. It's national championship or bust. I've been saying it all for. I'm glad I met somebody that agrees with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Completely agree. I mean, what what excuses Georgia have? They have the quarterback. They've that's been kind of the issue for the last couple of years. You have a potential first round pick at quarterback in JT Daniels. George Pickens is hurt, but they don't lack for options at receiver. You have so many running backs in that backfield. You have one of the best offensive lines in college football. Like the only real question mark in the secondary was like how they reload a corner. They added two of our top ten transfers of twenty four seven sports to the offseason in that position. I just don't think uh, Georgia, with that schedule especially, has any excuses. Hey, Chris, we'll let you go with that, but uh, do us a favor, man. We need some content coming out of uh, Big 12 Media Days. Ask some questions that maybe uh, get Sark talking about Nick Saban. I mean, those would be good here. I mean, we need some content <laughs> for the final three days of uh, the offseason until we get to Media Days next Monday for uh, uh So uh, maybe you can get Sark to talk about Alabama. And, you know, ask him about that comment. He said Tuscaloosa was a boring town. Double down on that one. That might be fun. Well, to be fair, the rib options in Austin are just as good. And after that, like, I don't, I don't know if it's much of a competition. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Tuscaloosa is great. But, yeah, I don't. I get the feeling Stark will get plenty of questions about the Nick Saban uh, experience for sure. Hey, no doubt. Let me invite people to connect with you. National College football writer Chris Hummer. It is on the Twitter side of things, at Chris underscore Hummer, available there. 247 Sports, 247 Sports. Locally, it's BamaOnline.com, BamaOnline.com. Com. Chris, thank you for your time. I hope you have a great time there in Arlington, and it will be fun to hear some of the stuff coming out of a live press conference. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Chris Hummer helping us out, man. That's fun to be a visit with him. So we'll go back. If you want to jump in, we can do it uh, with Alabama tradition. We'll take a, maybe one or two phone calls uh, if you want to jump in, and then we'll replay Terry Davis coming up here on Alabama tradition, the past, present, and future of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Alabama football countdown clock is driven by Crawford Insurance, Tuscaloosa's low-cost auto insurer. Call 752-6489 for a free quote today. There are, there are, there are 53 days until Alabama football. You are listening to Alabama Tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler. Your connection to Tuscaloosa and the University of Alabama Athletics on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.
got my first truck when I was three. Drove a hundred thousand miles on my knees. Hauled marbles and rocks and thought twice before I hauled a Barbie doll bed for the girl next door. She tried to pay me with a kiss and I began to understand there's something women like about a pickup I guess man. we're continuing a little twang Tuesday as we uh, continue here in the six o'clock hour. We will replay Terry Davis coming up. Uh, in our final couple of uh, minutes here, Terry Davis, first wishbone quarterback at the University of Alabama. We've been talking about the first memory of Alabama football, the earliest memory that you can think of. And i got to give credit, uh, the Bryant Museum posted this on their Facebook account about 30 days ago. And I, I said, hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to archive that one. That's something I'd like to go back to. So i got to give credit back to the Bryant Museum. Uh, those guys do a terrific job of archiving the University of Alabama. Enjoy talking with Chris Hummer just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, 247 Sports as we move into this conversation. Let's go down to Brett. Brett down in Mobile. Brett, good afternoon. You're in the game. I hope all is well. Yes, sir. No I, said, I said sorry. Mobile. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I guess wrong, Brett. My bad. No, no. Oh. Oh, wrong then, one? Or? No, no, this is Brett. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm Brent all Mobile. confused. My bad. My bad. I, I thought your voice <laughs> sounded a little bit different there at the beginning, and I was like, okay, maybe it's not the Brett and Mobile. Okay, it is no. the Brett and Mobile. No, no, no. Sorry. Long day. Long day. I apologize. Okay, okay. Long day. Okay. You ready to talk a little Actually, Alabama long. Crimson Tide football? I guess we're getting close to it. 53 Again. days away from Alabama hoisting up a, well, starting a championship season. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. I, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, I, yeah, I, of course, the city's building up all around Bryant Denny. Like, it's, it's going crazy, right, still, I, I'm assuming. A- absolutely. Kind of, well, yeah, it's it's <laughs> that's uh, – I don't know how many games you were able to make it up last year, but, uh, yeah, it's constant building. And right now we're in a, we're in a crazy um, – just a, a growth point of Tuscaloosa. The housing market uh, is yeah. crazy. I think someone told me, I, I've got a friend of mine that's in real estate. I don't want to quote him, but he told me any given time is always 400 to 600 houses in the market right now. Just to tell <laughs> you Tuscaloosa growth, Goodness. 400 Goodness. to 600 houses in the market is for sale. Wow. Currently there's wow. less than 200. So, so uh, we're going to, you know, uh, supposedly Miami's quarterback's already mouthing off. Is no, that, that's, fake. that's fake. It's I'd... fake. It's fake. Yeah, it's fake. Yeah, he, he hadn't said a thing. Yeah, that one and then the Brian Harson, I'm going to beat Alabama's butt twice in the same year. That one's fake, too. I, I don't know who does this. I, it, it, it's a I, meme page. And somebody shares it, and, and <laughs> I'll see people getting so upset and Listen, I've fallen for it. I fell into that trap sometimes. You see it and you're like, ah, let me go. No. If yeah. it says CFTTN or College Football Trash Talk Network, it's a meme page. Is it? Okay. Well, I, I guess I'm not a member of the meme uh, group. I'm not well, either. I guess but, or, but I see uh, that's it. That's what when circulates. Orgeron did, when, yeah. when Orgeron did his thing like, uh, two years ago, he, ca- he kind of paid the price, didn't he? <laughs> well, now his was real, right? I mean, his was well, real. Yeah, the, that, that's yeah, probably, that yeah. wasn't fake. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah. Now, hold on. There, who was the comment? There was real, it was one real comment. Um, 
Oh, it was Jimbo Fisher aggravating Alabama's Nick Saban, oh, saying I'm gonna I'm gonna beat that. that butter. What was it? Yeah, that one was real. In golf, in golf, in golf, in golf. Well, yeah, yeah. And Saban goes what in golf? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, I think he was talking about football, but Saban tried to twist it, and he was quick on his feet. But uh, anyway, it's right. it's fun. It's yeah, fun. Right. I mean, but hey, yeah. it's it's as Steve Spurrier said, it's talking season. But hey, Brent, I've only got a couple of minutes. Let me ask you, earliest hey. moment of Alabama football? What's the earliest that you can remember? Oh goodness, you mean crying after the '73 Sugar Bowl? That one will uh, work. That one's that one actually came up a couple times. <laughs> Did you really cry? Uh, or Oh, I cried. Oh, I cried. Oh, I cried. Really? Of course, the first football game I ever went to was in touchdown Jesus territory, 76. Okay. So so I was there for 76. We lost 21-18, unfortunately. But anyway, nice. That was, but so, anyway, you, so you went blah, to blah, South blah. Bend in 76, okay? Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. November, yeah. So that was a first impressionable game but uh trying for 73 which i'll never forget uh 79 let's yeah 79 sugar bowl penn state goal line stand being there that was a great moment so gotcha. if i can mix those three together <laughs> hey brett I'm, right. i know you got time yeah. hey i know you gotta go sorry hey, roll, hey good talk to you roll roll tide. Roll thank tide. you uh brett down in mobile uh, we appreciate him uh Pat, I got about 60 seconds. It's all yours. Hey, man. LSU 1971. They were parts of LSU all over the field that day. A fellow by the name of Johnny Moose was running left. And I guess it's kind of like student body left, student body right. What do you think? <laughs> Not too bad. Uh, what an endurance player when you look and, at and, and Terry Davis had a very good game in that ball game, too. And we will replay that interview coming up in just a couple of seconds. Where you been, Pat? That uh, man have been making oatmeal cookies. I'm going to see. For the last my, two weeks? My, my heavens. That's just... Hey, man, I'm going to see my rebel girlfriend. And I've been wearing a skin-baked backwards. You know, hey, and they curse. Why, why can you not find you an Alabama girlfriend? It was an Auburn girlfriend. Now it's a an old Miss girlfriend. An LSU girlfriend. I mean, hey, hey, but this one, this one's really Okay, okay, yeah. I got you. Hey, have a blessed day. Can't wait to hear you. Thank you, Pat. We will re-archive that coming up in just a couple of minutes. It's Alabama tradition. It's the past, present, and future of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Or a brand new machine Once around the block And you'll know what I mean You can set my truck on fire And roll it down a hill And I still wouldn't trade it For a good and deal I got an eight-foot bed That never has to be made You know, if it weren't for trucks We wouldn't have tailgates I met all my wives The traffic jams are just something Women like about a pickup man yeah, there's something women like about a pill. Um. Hey, it's Elsie having no fun. Have some fun, man. 
Talking Alabama Crimson Tide football on Alabama Tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler in Tuscaloosa on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Just a good old boy. Never meaning no harm. Right now, let's go to Terry Davis. He was the first wishbone quarterback at the University of Alabama, and it's an absolute honor to be able to welcome him back to Tuscaloosa. Terry Davis, welcome back to T-Town, sir. I hope you're having a great day. Thank you. I am. Uh, just finished a round of golf. Everything's good. Absolutely. Well, how did you play? That's the most biggest question for you. Not, not so badly. 78, pretty good for an old, old fella, so uh, not, not too bad. Won a, a few dollars, but everything's good. I got you. I got you. What it is, it is an absolute honor to be able to talk with you and talk about the uh, wishbone, but uh, I'm curious, when you think about, when I say wishbone formation, What's the first thing that pops in your head about that formation for you as a quarterback? Uh, well, probably just uh, the, the pressure it puts on the defense, uh, uh, being able to uh, make some decisions out on the corner, and, and you got you got options. You know, you, that's why you, you run it. You got the fullback option, you got the pitch option, and you got the quarterback keep option. So it's uh, it puts a lot of pressure on on the defense, which. When you had the personnel that we had with the, the linemen, Hannah and Jim Croft, Buddy Brown, Steve Sprayberry, Jack White, we, I mean, we had a fantastic offensive line. And you throw in uh, Lusso and uh, Wilbur Jackson, Joe LaBoo, L.S. Beck, Steve Shea as running backs. Uh, I, I, you understand why Coach Bryant made the decision. Yeah, I mean, we were loaded and, and some, uh, being able to run the football. And, and everybody knows we went a couple of years in trying to throw the ball and win and, and, and couldn't win consistently. So uh, a change was needed. And uh, I think based on what he saw on uh, the personnel-wise, uh, he made a great decision. Terry, when you look back, and I, I want you to walk me through, and I'm, I don't remember the era I have to depend on people like you to connect us. I was born in 78, so uh, I have to depend on everybody to help me understand history. But – my understanding is it's three, four weeks out when they made the decision that they were going to the wishbone. Can you remember the first time that you heard about, hey, we're, we're switching formations, we're going this direction, and can you walk us through what that was like? Absolutely. We just come off a six and five season. Uh, we went through spring training running the same offense, the same pro set offense. Uh, not a lot of happy people in Alabama at the time. Coach Pride wasn't happy. Of course, players weren't happy because we weren't winning. So, so we uh, reported for fall practice, uh, assuming that we we're going to be running uh, the same same offense, uh, uh, and we didn't know anything about the, the change until the first meeting we had with Coach Bryant. He walked in and immediately said, uh, we're going to sink or swim with a wishbone. And from there, uh, there was no uh, discussion about it. We uh, Coach uh, Malmore was the quarterback coach. Uh, he, he, brought, he took the quarterbacks, I think there was, five or six of us at the time, and we went down to the lower gym, and we immediately started working on the mechanics, the footwork, and so forth. So uh, it was a, a surprise to everybody but the coaches at, at that point. And uh, uh, so we were, I think we were – I was optimistic at that point. I, I thought it was a good offense for me, basically, because of uh, what we ran in high school. We ran a lot of rollout option stuff, uh, running pass on the corner. So I knew I could do that. So uh, I was looking forward to it. Okay. Oh, that was my next question is recruiting into a pro set and then going to the wishbone. I mean, I was going to ask you if uh, there was there any disgruntledness uh, on the team going a different direction, but I guess you've answered my question. 
No, not not at all. I think everybody, you know, you're expected to win in Alabama. Everybody wanted to win, and and having not won uh, like we should win in the, in the past two years, I think everybody welcomed the change. And uh, uh, again, with the personnel we had, uh, I think the only only maybe disappointed, and and they didn't show it, and they and they were certainly team players were the wide receivers. You know, we had uh, David Bailey and Wayne Wheeler, two guys that uh, could catch the football. I believe Bailey caught something like eighty something passes the year before. And now he's going to be in an offense where I think we threw 66 passes the first year in in the offense. But but he was a he was a team player and he he gave it all he had on every play and uh, the few passes we did get to him uh, I think helped soothe his uh, feelings a little bit. But he was he was a team player in Wheeler. So I think from that standpoint, if you, you had some uh, some uh, pro aspirations and you think, gosh, we're going to the wishbone and uh, this is going to hurt me. Uh, they never showed it. Uh, they played. They played well. They made the catches when they had to, and they blocked when they had to. So uh, it, it turned out to be a great thing for for all of us. Now, I, I've been told a little secret here that, uh, and I know Steve. Steve is uh, a guy. When he's in Tuscaloosa, we always uh, look each other up, and uh, he'll text me and say, "Hey, you want to go get some Dreamland barbecue?" And I pick his brain quite a bit, uh, Steve Bashelia, and uh, always fun right. to be able to talk with Steve, but. Uh, my understanding is you guys might have got into a little something uh, somewhere during a summer. Is is there any truth to that? Uh, what summer? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> summer of what? And, uh, uh, Steve and I ran together a lot during. Uh, you know, he was he was from California and came in and uh, not knowing a lot of people, and uh, so uh, I, I became friends with him. And in fact, we made a. I took him to Louisiana with me on on. That's many where I was trips. going. That's where I was going. I think there was something back there in Bogalusa. Yeah, we went to Bogalusa. I took him home with me, and we ended up in New Orleans on a bunch of occasions. So we had a we had a real big time. Uh, you know, his family was in the wine business, and uh, he'd go home, and he when he came back, he'd have a suit a suitcase full of wine that uh, he brought back for us. So, so we got an education on wine and. And he got an education in New Orleans, so it, it was a great time. But uh, Steve was good, good, good buddy. Well, he's still in the wine business, and uh, he's a professional at it. So he's always right. uh, talking about it. But uh, when you look back, and I, I'd love for you to to maybe recall a couple of guys that we'd love to ask you about. Um, you know, even during this era of Alabama football, the name Johnny Musso comes up quite often. Can you describe him from your perspective? Uh, yeah, I, I can. Johnny, uh, everybody knows Johnny was a fantastic uh, football player, a great running back, a great blocker. But he was just—he's a great individual, uh, very unassuming, very humble guy. You know, you never know that he was uh, as good as he was on the football field. But uh, he was terrific, uh, and everybody knows that. Uh, He—he uh, he probably fell for more yards uh, after he was hit than most most people run for. You know, uh, he just had a knack for uh, keeping his balance and keep fighting for the next yard, but uh, a terrific guy. Well, and, and, and you think about it. I mean, I can, I've done a lot of interviews about, you know, Johnny Musso, but he always makes a promise. He said, I'll do an interview as long as you don't ask me about me. I want to talk about my teammates. He must have been the ultimate team guy. He was. Uh, like I said, again, he, he, you'd never know he was a, he was a great running back by just hanging out with him. Uh, it was all about uh, everybody else, and uh, but uh, – he uh, he was a fantastic player, and again, a, a fantastic human being, just a, a wonderful person. We're recalling defensive linemen today, and uh, when you when you look at a guy by the name that maybe doesn't get in as much credit as he should, uh, but he's his name has come up quite a bit today with the callers. Uh, Leroy Cook's name 
comes up quite a bit from a defensive uh, lineman perspective. What do you remember about Leroy well, Cook's playing days at Alabama? Well, I was uh, actually, I think Leroy was maybe two or so years behind me. I didn't really play with, with Leroy. Maybe. Uh, okay, not uh, bad. That's, that's okay, but uh, obviously he was a fantastic football player. Uh, I'd heard that that incoming class was coming, and, and his name came up quite a bit that he was going to be an outstanding football player. But I actually didn't have the opportunity to play with him. Okay, my apologies. Hey, let me go to Mal Moore because, um, you know, I know he was on record of, of talking about, um, as far as a wishbone quarterback, that you were the best that uh, they've had. Talk, talk about Coach Mal Moore and what he was able to do. Uh, you know, we, we appreciate what he gave to the university. Uh, I always like to say it. He believed in Alabama when very few people believed in Alabama, and he went and hired Nick Saban. But I'd love to be able to pay some uh, respect to Coach Mal Moore. Right. Uh, Coach, again, what he what he contributed to the university over the years uh, 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 probably won't ever be matched. Uh, I, I don't think so. But uh, he was uh, – I, I was fortunate to have a lot of good coaches and in, in going through high school and even junior high along the way. And uh, two people stand out that, that I think had the most influence on, on my success. And the first one and probably had the most impact was uh, my high school – Offensive coach, uh, Tommy Leos. Uh, he, he pushed me and, uh, probably had more to do with me being successful. But Coach Moore, uh, absolutely, uh, all of Coach Bryant's coaches, uh, they, you ask Coach Bryant, people ask him how, how, what he attributed his success to, and he said he just surrounded himself with good people. And, and that's so true with, uh, Mal Moore, Jimmy Sharp, Pat Dye. You know, he had a history of, uh, just great coaches, but Coach Moore was, uh, one of the hardest working coaches that I've ever had the privilege to play for. Uh, when we, when we started working on the wishbone out on the field, we, we had different periods, you know, 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there. And, and most of the time, the quarterback and a fullback were working on the mechanics of the, of the offense. Coach Moore would line up in a defensive tackle position and he would do the stunts that, that we were going to see against the defensive tackle. Or 20 minutes. And here, and we got three or four quarterbacks running plays. He did that on every play. Then he'd go to the defensive end and give us looks about what the defense, defensive end was going to do. He actually worked harder than we worked on the football field. And he was so intense, uh, he'd get, he'd get talking and, and, and the dribble would come out of his mouth. You know, he'd just be so, so fired up about it. Uh, but a fantastic, uh, human being, a great coach, uh, uh, what else can you say about the man? What he what he contributed to the university? Well, I tell you what, you read his book and and you can see uh, the love that he had for this place. And you know when he went and hired Coach Nick Saban, uh, we shared that story here on the air, and he was telling us all these different things. And he said, you know, he'd called Namath on the way down uh, to tell him that, hey, I'm I'm going down to hire Nick Saban. And uh, Joe Willie told him he said, uh, you better have a backup plan, as he would say, Mal. You better have a backup plan. And uh, it was just, you know, he believed in Alabama when very few people did believe in Alabama. And, uh, you know, he believed that Alabama could still win. And somewhere he's smiling, looking over this great program. And Coach Saban's been able to build this historic and get us back to uh, national prominence. Yeah. That's right. You know, the story is uh, he didn't go see uh, Coach Saban right away. He went <laughs> to see Mrs. Saban. <laughs> he he knew where to start to try to, to, to get Nick to come. So, uh he got to know Miss Saban and uh, and used her to uh, help him convince uh, Coach Saban to come. So he, he he was he was pretty crafty. Is there a game that stands above the rest for you individually? Is there a favorite game that you love sharing a story about? Uh, 
Well, of course, we won 21 of them, so uh, all of them are, are special. But uh, the real special, everybody talks about the Southern Cal game, uh, you know, being a big underdog and going out after, after the previous year, getting beat so bad in Birmingham, uh, going out there and, and winning that game. And that was the first game I started, so uh, that's extra special uh, to me. Uh, I was scared to death, actually, but, but uh, everything worked out right. But uh, uh, the LSU game, being from Louisiana, uh, playing in Baton Rouge, and I'd always heard how noisy uh, it is in Baton Rouge to play. And, and it is a, a fact that's the loudest stadium I, that we played in at the time. Uh, it was like uh, in the huddle, I couldn't hear myself talking. It was like, I hope they understand what I'm saying. We were all bunched in together, but I would say, and I, you just couldn't hear it. So uh, we were able to win the game. Uh, but that game, I, it, it wasn't a great offensive game for us, but uh, we won 14-7, to 7, I believe. And then uh, the next year in Birmingham, uh, I had a, probably the best game I had uh, offensively was against uh, LSU again. They had Burt Jones, and uh, uh, what can you say about Burt? He's a terrific football player. And uh, But we were able to win that game, and I, I was had a good running and passing night that night. So that's probably the, the biggest game, uh, playing against Pat Sullivan uh, uh, the year he won the Heisman Trophy. It was another game. Uh, I had a good game in that one. So uh, so those are those are kind of the highlights for me. Yeah, I'd love to go back to that USC game. What, what was the face of the defenders like when you guys roll out there and you go to the wishbone? I mean, could you see it in the face of confusion, looking at what you guys were trying to do? I think initially they were they were they were surprised. Yeah, obviously the way they were trying to line up against us, and uh, uh, I mean it was just uh, so obvious that they weren't prepared for it. And uh, I remember I saw a picture after sometime after the game. I've got the picture actually that uh, it was a picture taken from the sideline down the line of scrimmage, and just after the snap, I had the ball and was was taking a step toward the fullback, and there was nobody else in the picture. I mean our offensive line. Had had moved them at least two to three yards off the off the football. So there's nobody else other than just me and Bashelia in the picture. So uh, I thought that was pretty uh, illustrative of uh, how uh, how off guard they were. And of course they made some adjustments, and we went a little conservative in the second half on offense. Uh, and and the let's, let's, the key for the wishbone is to have a good defense, and we certainly had uh, good defenses uh, to hold that team to uh, ten points. The way our, our defense played that night was uh, uh, probably had more to do with us winning the game than the offense did because uh, we we got up uh, you know, 17 to whatever and uh, we're, our defense was able to hold them off. But, uh, uh, but yeah, they were surprised. Uh, uh, I remember at uh, we had a banquet at the end of the year and John McKay, Coach McKay was uh, was a guest speaker at the banquet and and he made a comment uh, and he looked he, he brought. He, he spoke my name. He said, "Terry, how about that defense we played against you in the wishbone?" You know, so uh, he was uh, he, he was surprised by it. I think everybody, of course, nobody knew we were doing it, so everybody had to be surprised. Sure. Well, and and I mean, how did you? I mean, I, I know we're 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 talking about you know the 1971, but we're we're kind of in the frame of mind of 2021. But that's the the ultimate secret. I mean, to be able to think about rolling a defense, excuse me, an offense out against a defense. And trying to get payback from the previous season, uh, just a—I don't know—it's just a historic story when you look at opening up in the wishbone. It, it was, uh, but but again, I think when you look at our personnel, I mean, we, if there was a, a team 
that uh, the wishbone offense fit. It was it was our team because of our offensive linemen and, and the running backs we had. I mean, we were deep in running backs. We were deep in offensive linemen. And, you know, you got John Hanna, Jim Croft, and Buddy Brown, center guard and two guards that can uh, block anything out there. Uh, it was uh, uh, it just worked uh, magical, I guess you'd say. Uh, I mean, the first two or three drives, it was like uh, we were playing against uh, our second team uh, back at practice. I mean, they just they just weren't in position to make the plays on us. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, to be able to do that, and uh, I guess the team rated like Southern Cal was at the time uh, was was that's very special, no doubt, very special. I made a promise to one of our callers earlier that I would ask you about the Tennessee game, and I believe that was 1972. A uh, pretty historic game and a, a very memorable right. for this individual that was talking about it, uh, October right. the 21st, 1972. Right. Can you help? Uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, we, it, it, maybe it wasn't our first big test, but I think we played Georgia earlier in, in Athens. You know, people kept saying that, you know, maybe we hadn't been tested yet uh, with some of the teams that we'd played prior to that. So we went into to Athens and, and beat Georgia there. And everybody felt well, that gave us a lot of confidence. Uh, but anytime you go to Knoxville, and, and back in that period, anyway, I know now it's not the same. But uh, they had some they had some great defensive teams, and and uh, they they totally dominated. So there's no question. For uh, 57 minutes, uh, it was like they they were in the huddle with us. Uh, our offense just wasn't wasn't able to do anything. They were they were in position before we were in in position. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the, the thing Coach Bryant preaches all the time, just one play at a time, do your job. And uh, if you do that, everybody does a, 100% on every play, then uh, things will work out. And and uh, we were in the – we just got the ball back, I guess, around the 40 on the play – on the series where we scored the, the first touchdown. And uh, and uh, maybe this has something to do with it. We got, got in the huddle. And, and you only had 25 seconds at that in, during that uh, period of time to, to – Call the play, get the line of scrimmage, and get the playoff. So, uh, so we, wherever he puts the ball in play, I walk in the huddle, and uh, John Hammond just looks up and says, "Let's pray." You know, my thought was, "John, you better hurry up because we don't have a lot of time." <laughs> so, uh, so evidently, he said a prayer, and uh, you know, we scored in uh, two or three plays, and uh, and uh, to tie the game, and then and goodness gracious, you know, kick off, and then we get the fumble back and score again. So, uh, yeah, just. Uh, Opportunistic uh, uh, opportunity there. It's uh, the fumble from uh, I think Dubos and Don um, Crow maybe recovered it or somebody. But uh, uh, but they played a Haskell standback. Probably had one of their best games against us that anybody ever had. He's just uh, he got beat up pretty badly by our defense, but uh, they controlled us uh, for 57 minutes. But you got to play 60 minutes. Final question, and I may have saved the best for last. Um... You go to 1972, uh, you were captain of that football team along with a guy by the name of John Mitchell. We know the importance, and we always love to preserve history, and John Mitchell uh, served a very important uh, period, uh, breaking some racial barriers here at the University of Alabama. Can you help us honor John Mitchell? Oh, absolutely. John came in, and uh, and right away you knew he, he was special. He, you know, he, he just looked like an athlete. He had, he had the body for it, and... Uh, a nice, nice person fit right in. He and Wilbur, uh, Wilbur Jackson, uh, the two that were the first under scholarship, uh, the black athletes uh, for Alabama, and both of them. Uh, Wilbur was a lot quieter than John, but uh, John was a, a terrific person. 
heck of a defensive end uh, and uh, contributed a heck of a lot to our to our success. And then uh, and then Wilbur came along and uh, same thing. Wilbur was uh, it was probably the only quieter guy on the team as far as being shy and that sort of thing was Wilbur than than me. I was pretty quiet back in those days uh, myself, but. Uh, but Wilbur was a was a fantastic player too. So, uh, and that, and that was the thing. Uh, I think Coach Bryant uh, recruited good people uh, uh, as he as he brought more black players in. Uh, you realize right off they were good good people, and uh, we didn't have any problems. So uh, uh, everybody uh, just considered it. Everybody was a football player. You know, we're teammates, we're football players, and I don't care what color you are. So uh, it worked out fantastically. Well, Terry, I'm I'm excited about uh, the Wishbone Boys and the premiere that's going to be happening here later in the uh, the month of August, August 28th. Bryant Museum, excuse me, the historic Bama Theater uh, here on the campus of the University of Alabama. That's a, a historic place. It's also where you guys watched a lot of those Friday night films, getting ready for the game. And uh, you think about Bama Theater, and it's going to be nice to have a reunion to be able to salute that 12 year run, uh, to be able to salute what you guys were able to accomplish and. Uh, started off in 1971 as we talked about the wishbone so it's going to be a lot of fun and it'll be a great reunion with all you guys back in t-town yeah i'm looking looking forward to it and uh thanks to tim card and his his guys and uh all the folks involved in putting it together because it, it was a uh one of the, the best uh, periods of alabama football and i think uh, averaged over 10 games a win for 10 10 or 12 say whatever it was uh yeah, national championships sec championships it was just and and like you said, you were born in '78, so most of the people you run in today weren't weren't born when we were playing. So maybe their their uh, history on the wishbone is, is not what it should be. So this will give everybody an opportunity, those Alabama fans that that weren't around when when this thing happened, uh, a chance to really see uh, how, how it took place and the success that was uh, that that we had with it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Sounds sound like it's going to be a great weekend. It is going to be absolutely. Uh, Terry Davis, thank you again for helping us preserve the history of Alabama. It's a lot of fun to be able to visit with you and talk some Alabama Crimson Tide football. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate you having Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mixture of clouds and sunshine this afternoon. The chance of scattered showers and storms through the evening hours. Today's high 87, the low tonight 70. Tomorrow, morning sunshine, scattered thunderstorms developing by afternoon. The high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 77 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The host of the game, Ryan Fowler, and the host of the Martin Houston Show, Martin Houston, have combined to offer a show filled with in-depth analysis of Alabama football and more. Alabama Tradition broadcasts live on Tide 100.9 every Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m. and is available live and on playback on numerous affiliates around the Southeast. Check out alabamatradition.com for a list of affiliates as well as other great content. Says it's the end of time and the Mississippi River, she's a gold drive. The interest is up and the star. Right, big thanks to Terry Davis, Alabama quarterback, the first wishbone quarterback at the University of Alabama. Uh, we always enjoy that conversation that was heard right here on the game. We'll do it again starting tomorrow, two o'clock. Uh, appreciate uh, Alabama tradition, six until seven. 
coming up every Tuesday. Remember, Martin Houston wakes you up tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Wimp and Barry inside the locker room, 7 until 9. Gary Harris, 9 until 11. Jacob Harrison off the edge, 11 until noon. Jay Barker, Lars Anderson with the Jay Barker Show, 12 until 2. I'll see you guys 2 o'clock tomorrow on the game. We'll see you then. From dusk till dawn Make our own whiskey and our own smoke too Ain't too many things he's old boy